noise if you love Jesus in this house. It's what I like to see. Well, it's going to be a great day in church. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a great day. Why don't you turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm glad I sat by you. Well, greetings from our lead pastor, Robert Herber. He's out of town. We were just with him. We got back last night at an international conference in Colorado. And what it is is a gathering of our movement of churches, over a thousand people there, uh, people in the U.S. and around the world planting churches. And it was an awesome time of getting together and be refreshed, but also hearing about what God's doing all throughout the earth, seeing church planting movements happen in nations that you wouldn't believe and seeing unreached people groups be reached and hear about the love of Jesus is so cool. So you can be encouraged, all peoples. God's moving in the earth today. And Pastor Robert will be back next week. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Well, my name is Joel Sanders, and my wife was just singing up here this morning. And so we're doing a Sanders takeover this Sunday. I'm not sure if she's in the audience, but she's my better half. We've been married for almost five years, and many of you know our kids, Gunner and Finley. And we're excited to announce that we have one more on the way. We're pregnant with our third. So we asked our son, Gunner, how many he, he thought we were going to have, and he said either two or five. So you can pray for us because I'm pretty sure my wife only wants one. But we have a blast leading our youth group. It's called Anchored. It's for our 7th to 12th graders. And if there's any 7th to 12th graders, I'd love to invite you out to be a part of it. We have an awesome youth group in this church, and we love leading it. And like the announcement said, we're having Anchored tonight, but it's going to be at a new location. Just right down the street, you can find that information in your bulletin. And also, shameless plug, two weeks away is our summer camp, Desert Days, which we're super pumped about. Love for you to be there if you're in that, uh, that grade, and it's a life-changing event. Well, I want to talk to you about raising up the next generation today. And as we do that, I want to see in the audience where the different generations are. And so we have some slides just in case you don't know which generation you're a part of. But if there's anyone from the greatest generation, which is this these years, would you just raise your hand? Is there anyone out there from the, loud and proud? Let me see. All right, I see it out there. Come on. What an awesome name for your generation, huh? The greatest generation. We need to pray for more people from the greatest generation. We'd be a lot greater of a church if we had some more people from the greatest generation. Where are the boomers in the house? Let me see your hands in the air. Wave them around like you just don't care. Boom, here comes the boom. What about Gen X? Where are the Gen Xers in the house? Oh, yeah. Love you, Gen X. What about my generation, Generation Y? Affectionately called the Millennials, and I want to thank the Millennials for raising their hands and taking a break from their devices, from Instagramming and text messaging. You can go back to your devices now. Is there anyone from Gen Z, the newest generation? Maybe a couple in here. That All right, we love you. Connected since birth. They came out of the womb with an iPad in their hands. Well, when you talk about raising up the next generation, 
A lot of people talk about how it's most noticed in the workplace, the differences in the generations. And we have a short video to highlight this, if you could turn your attention to the screen. I'm a baby boomer. And I'm Generation Y. I like to show dedication to my employer by working really long hours. I don't really feel like I need to work long hours as long as I get my work done. I'm excited when my workday starts. I'm excited when my workday ends. I like to have meetings in person. I prefer email or voicemail. I've worked hard to climb the corporate ladder. I should already be at the top of the ladder. I mean, I have a degree. <laughs> I put in 60 hours at the office last week. I'm taking next month off to go hiking in Malaysia. I have a sense of entitlement. Oh, so do I. Hey. Hey. I like Maxwell House. Oh, I prefer Starbucks. I just got a Facebook account. Oh, Facebook, good for you. That is so 2009. <laughs> I like competition. I prefer collaboration. I've heard of that. Oh, now he doesn't know this, but I plan on getting his job when he retires. She doesn't know this, but I'm never going to retire. <laughs> now, awesome. Some of you are cringing because you've experienced that in the workplace. There's very many differences in our generations. And when we talk about raising up the next generation, I, I can vividly remember when that happened in my life. When I was a young kid and people from the older generations invested in me, whether they were just a few years older or many generations older. I remember my soccer coach really uh, investing in me and teaching me the skills with the ball. I remember my Bible study leader and camp counselor really calling out my leadership gifting and excelling uh, in my life. I remember my Boy Scout leader really challenging me to finish my badges and congratulating me when I finished the task. And maybe you've had experiences like that. Maybe you've had a teacher or a coach that really has invested in you. In fact, I meet many teachers and coaches that are in that profession because they say that they had a teacher or coach that made an impact in their life. Maybe you had a a mentor or a neighbor that really took you in and, and invested in you and called out your gifting and really uh, made you to who you are today. But nothing compares to having your dad in your corner. And if your dad was anything like mine, he was running up and down the sidelines, rooting for our team, yelling at the ref, shouting directions at me of where I was to kick the ball. And I had to stop the game and, and, and remind my dad that we actually did have a head coach. And we also had an assistant coach. And we were only six years old. So, but having your dad on the sideline just being there for you, it, it lets you just realize you could finish the game. He was in your corner and you could keep going, you could make it, and you were going to do great. And believe it or not, there's a story in the Bible about a dad cheering on his son. And we're going to study this passage tonight. If you have a Bible app, open it up to Matthew chapter 3. If you have a real Bible, proud of you for bringing it. Let me see the real Bibles in the air. All right. Not as endangered as I thought. Thanks for bringing them. So we've got Bibles going up and down the aisles. If you need one, you can just raise your hand. We love giving out Bibles, a free gift from our church to you. The Bible is a powerful book. It's actually a living book. It's alive, so be careful. I always tell our youth that if you open this book up and read it and do what it says, it will change your life. Do you believe that? Yeah. You're about to have your life change this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, your life's about to change. This is a good book. Here we go, jumping into Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Here's what it says. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Now, when you read that passage, I don't want you to think of the clouds just gently rolling away and just a beautiful sunset, but the the text actually says, if you look in the original language, it's comparable to the end of the Gospels when it talks about the veil of the temple being torn in two or ripped apart. And so in this passage, we see that heaven is being ripped open, torn apart, and Jesus is coming out of the water as that's happening, and a dove, or the Spirit of God like a dove, is coming and alighting on Jesus. This is the best baptism bash that I've ever heard of. Wish I could be a part of this one. And this is what it says next. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. What a powerful scripture. And I want to speak for a moment to the people that would say, man, I didn't have a dad like you, Joel that was running up and down the sidelines there for me in my corner. And the reason I want to speak to you for a second is because it's interesting to me that in this passage, we see that Jesus' father is not present either. In fact, throughout his life, we don't see him in his ministry. We see his mother involved and all the way up until the point of his death. But scholars and historians believe that Jesus' father had likely passed away, that maybe he was of older age when he married Mary. And so Jesus, at this critical point in his life, doesn't have his father, his earthly father, rooting him on, but his heavenly father is there, cheering him on, standing in his corner. And I hope that brings encouragement and hope to everyone in the room this morning. But here Jesus is, about to start the most critical ministry and time of his life. He's a strapping 30-year-old millennial. And he is about to go through the most grueling and stressful thing that we could even imagine. If there was never an appropriate time to hashtag the struggle is real, it would be at this point. And just in case you don't know the Bible well or in case you've forgotten, let me refresh your memory on what Jesus is about to go through. Right after this passage, he is led out into the wilderness or the desert where he doesn't eat for 40 days. Somebody say bummer. That's a bummer for me because I like food. While he's not eating, the the real devil comes and tempts Jesus and tries to destroy his life and ministry. And after he completely finishes that and succeeds in conquering that, he goes and finds 12 temperamental, moody male teenagers and lives with them for three years. Some of the parents saying, hello, After that, he's got the religious leaders that are trying to to trap him and and, and really don't like him. He's got the demon-possessed and and the the lepers and the disease trying to grab at him and, 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 and get everything from him. And Jesus really doesn't have time to rest or sleep. And then to to top it all off, he has his best friends and his biggest fans betray him. Then he's taken to court where he's put on trial for something he didn't do, and he's beaten and mocked and spit on. And we all know that then he's taken away to a a lonely place on a hill where he is nailed to a cross, 
and, and he experiences physical but also spiritual torment to the point of him dying. And this all culminates in one of the greatest events in human history on planet earth. He rose from the dead and, and was raised back to heaven where he sits today. And that's why it's a good day to be a Christian because we serve a living God. Amen. But before we get there, and, and as we just track through his life, I want us to rewind for all my generations that grew up rewinding VHS tapes. I want us to rewind and look to see at this point and, and, and look at how he made it through that, how he got from there to the end of his life. And it starts in this passage, and, and what happens in this passage is so powerful that I want us to study it. Jesus is standing in this scene. He's, he's, he's being baptized, and, and, and as it's finishing, just like a, a kid on the soccer field like myself, hearing my dad, Jesus is, is there, and he hears the voice from his father. And, and he, you know, he's so engaged with what he's about to do, knowing what he's about to go through, but he's, he tunes out every other voice, Everything that, that's going on in his voice is heard throughout the whole playing field, the home bleachers and the opposing bleachers and the ref. And, and the father just shouts to his son, I'm for you. I believe you. This is my son, everybody. I love him. With him, I'm well pleased. And so I want to talk to everybody in, in the church today about how you're needed to raise up the next generation. Whether you're visiting for the first time, welcome, we're glad to have you, but we're a church that just wants everybody to jump in from the get-go. We don't believe in people sitting on the sidelines. We're a church that's saying, hey, we're all needed to be a part of this thing that we call the Big C Church, and we want to invite everybody to be a part of raising up the next generation. And so I hope you're still in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to camp out in the, verse 17 this morning because there's three things that God the Father says to his son that we're going to need to learn to raise up the next generation. So if you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you to write these things down. If you're not taking notes, please get something out to take notes on. The statistics say that 96% of people that take notes have bigger mansions in heaven. So... Hope you're ready. The first thing that we see the father say is, this is my son. And so the first thing that, that we need in raising up the next generation is identity. Say identity. identity. We need identity. My son is officially a three-nager. If you're not familiar with that term, I've just introduced it. He's a three-nager, and what that means is... Life changes, and I've come to realize that son is backwards for nose. And I'm not talking about the nose on your face, but no apostrophe S. There's a lot of nose in our house these days. All the parents of young kids know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I see some hands waving. There's a lot of nose that happen, and with each no, he's trying to figure out a little bit more of his identity. And with each no, I teach him a little bit more about his identity. He's learning, and, and it, it's a great experience, but it's challenging 
to be a parent and raise up the next generation. If you're a parent, let me see where you are. Give me a, a show of hands. Where are the parents in the room? If you want to be a parent someday, let me see you raise your hands. Okay, so that's everybody. So I'm preaching to everyone today. It's challenging to be a parent and raise up the next generation, but this phrase is so needed. This is my son. And can you imagine Jesus needing to hear that as he's about to embark on this journey? He, he's so needing to know his identity that his father sees him and he calls him out as his son. And I want to say to you today, church, we need to hear that. We need to know our identity. We need to know we're sons and daughters of the king. That puts a security in us, that, that teaches us who we are. It's so powerful. I have this verse from Romans eight fifteen that I want to put on the screen and, and look at this morning. This is what it says. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And this is such a powerful verse, because regardless of where you have been or what your family background is, if you belong to Jesus, you have a new identity. You have been adopted as sons and daughters, and that's your identity, and you can be confident and secure in that. Now, let me talk to the parents in the room real quick, as I'm a young parent that still is learning a lot and needs to continue to learn a lot. But we have a weighty responsibility, don't we, parents? We have a weighty responsibility. It's our job to raise up these kids that God's given us and to do it with the understanding that they're on loan to us. We're stewards of them, and, and we're raising them up to know the identity that first and foremost, they belong to God, that he's their father, but that secondly, we're raising them up with this identity that they're ours, that they're our kids, and they are the, the image of their mom and their dad. The Bible clearly calls us as parents to train our children up in the way that they should go. Now, how do we do that, and how does that training put an identity on our kids. There's another verse that I want to show you to this morning from Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to put it on the screen as well. It says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. That's good. We can stop right there. This verse is really powerful for families and parents. It teaches us how to train our children in the way that they should go and how to speak identity to them. The way we do this as a family is we have scripture written all over our house, in our kids' bedrooms, in the kitchen, and dining room, and we talk about them. We memorize the verses. They're verses specifically for our kids. We teach our kids new verses when we do family devotionals in the morning. We just did this one uh, with our kids, and, and they learned it, and it goes like this, you, O Lord, are my rock and my salvation. You, O Lord, are my fortress. And then I love this part. Gunner goes, and I will be not shaken. 
But it, the word of God gets in our kids from a young age, and they learn how to go. They learn where to go. They get an identity. They're secure in who they are. They're secure in their identity as kids of mommy and daddy and also as children of God. In the car, we sing songs that are filled with scripture and worshiping all throughout our day. We're training our children in the way that we should go because we want to raise up the next generation parents that have a right identity. Amen? Amen. Well, understandably, I don't have to tell you this or remind you this, but we do have an identity crisis in our culture. Part of that reason is because we're growing up in a generation that is a fatherless generation. That's what they're calling it. Many kids are growing up with, in single homes or without a father or a mother. And it's not okay for the church to just sit content with that. I, I really believe that as the church, we're called to take that back and say, hey, there's, there's fatherless and motherless kids. We want to adopt them. We want to speak an identity to them. Last year at our summer camp at Desert Days, after the first night, one of the girls, after a ministry and worship time, was just crying, tears coming down her face. One of our leaders was praying for her, and we gathered a few more leaders around her, began to pray for her, and we found out that her mother had passed away uh, when she was a young girl, and she didn't really get to know her mom, and so there was this void in her life. And as we began to pray for her and minister to her, God was speaking to her. He was speaking his identity to her, that he was her father, that, that e even if she didn't have a mother, he could be that in her life. And then also, not just that, but that we had uh, spiritual parents around this girl, young adults and college leaders, men and women that were praying over her and investing in her life and, and, and knowing that we could never replace that role of, of her, her mom. But there was these girl leaders that were speaking in identity over this girl. And it was so powerful. She left with such a confidence and such a thing that God stirred up in her heart. And church, I have faith for us to see this all across the board. There's so many youth in this church. There's so many young people in this church that need to know their identity. They need to know they're okay. They need to know why they're here on this earth. They need to know what, who God's called them to be and what their identity is. And I believe that as a church, as this older generation, we're called to do that. That we are called to invest in this next generation. And, and if I could be even more bold as to say, what if we adopted even greater than just inside the walls of this church, but this neighborhood or this school? What if we actually believed in this young generation that's all around us, that's in this zip code, that are walking around without direction, without spiritual moms and dads, without an identity of who God's called them to be? I really believe we could change this city. I really believe it. And I don't know if anybody else believes that, but I really believe, yes, we can invest in this next generation and not just... Uh, just, you know, throw them to the wayside and say, well, they're so hopeless. Man, I don't get them, or uh, I don't know why they're walking in that way. It's just because the church hasn't gotten around them yet. It's just because the church hasn't stepped in there and spoken in identity to them. Well, I preached on that for a little bit. I'm going to move on. The next thing that the Father says is, whom I love. Whom I love. And the, and, and the second thing that we need to raise up the next generation is affirmation. Say affirmation. 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 I believe that Jesus was able to walk through his life and his journey because he knew that his father loved him. 
You can do a lot when you know that your parents love you. You can go through a lot when you know that you're loved. I was putting my son to bed the other night, and he looks up at me and he says, Daddy, I love you. And my daddy heart just melted, as any other parent in the room could, could attest to. And being a teacher, I decided to use this moment to, to teach him. And so I said, Gunner, do you know why you love daddy? And just like a, a, a classic kid moment, he so matter-of-factly looks up at me and says, because you're beautiful. <laughs> I said, that's right, don't forget it, son. <laughs> totally derailed my scholarly moment. And uh, we laughed for a while, and it was really fun, and I re- remembered that he was only a three-year-old. But after a while, I looked at him, and I said, Gunner, actually, the reason that you love me is because I loved you first. The reason he loves me is because I've loved him. That's how he's learned how to love, and that's how God's taught us to love the next generation and to learn his love. And that's just straight out of the Bible. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. And we need to raise up the next generation with affirmation and love if we want them to do the same. If we want to see a generation that loves like Christ's love, then we need to love them. If we want them to love us, we need to to give that love and affirmation to them. And I'm not talking about just in action, but I'm talking about also in word. You see, God the Father didn't just show his love to Jesus. He said it. He spoke his love to Jesus. He said, whom I love. And he did it so that everybody could hear. He wasn't secret with his love for his kid. I want to talk to the parents again. Parents, we need to speak our love to our kids. We need to voice it, not just once when they're born and hope they'll get it and it'll stick, but throughout their life, and not even just once a day or every once in a while, but constantly throughout the day. We need to both, in our action and in our words, say, we love you. We're proud of you. We believe in you. That's going to change their life. You see, if they don't get it from you, they're going to go somewhere else to get it. They need it so badly that if they're not getting it in the home, they're going to go find it somewhere else. And they're probably going to find it in a wrong place. And so parents, please, and I say this in a, in a humble way, we've got to be affirming our kids regardless of their age. We need to constantly tell them our love for them. They need to hear it. I tell my kids this all the time. I spend a lot of time telling my kids that I love them. I want them to know a dad that loves them. But also, I tell this with the the young people that I disciple. And I know there's people in this room that maybe you don't have kids, or maybe your kids have have graduated and are are moving out, but you're discipling people. You're investing in the next generation. And and, and I want to say that we need to do that with our disciples too. As we're investing in the next generation, we need to tell them, what we see in them, we, we call it calling out the gold in them, speaking into their gifting. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've affirmed young people, high school, middle school, college-age students, and that many have come back and said that no one has ever done that before. Wow, can you believe that? We need to affirm the young people in this church. We need to affirm our kids. We need to affirm that next generation. The last thing that the father says is with him 
I'm well pleased. And so the third thing that we need to raise up the next generation is empowerment. Say empowerment. 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 In this verse, this last passage, with him I'm well pleased, if you look at the original text, the word that it actually uses is to prefer or to choose. And you see God the Father speaking identity and love, but then he empowers him and he says this actually, hey Jesus, I prefer you. I choose you. What powerful words. You know, let me speak to the the older generations in here for a moment. Sometimes you look at the younger generation and you wonder how you can ever empower them. You wonder how you can ever pass the baton to them. I mean, let's be honest. Some, some of the people in the younger generation, they're going through puberty and their voices are cracking. And, you, you, you know, it's an awkward stage. And, you know, then, then you're trying to have a conversation with them and they're on their phones while you're trying to talk to them. And you're like, how can I empower the next generation if you won't get off that dumb smartphone? And, and, you know, they wear clothes that you don't get, and, and they look different than, than you did at that age, and they can't sit through a three-hour lecture and take notes with pencil and paper, and, 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 and we haven't lived as long as you have and gone through the experiences that you have. But the God that we serve, that I know, that I see in the Bible, is always empowering the next generation. He's a God of risks. He's a God that looks to the younger generation and goes, man, that's risky, but I'm going to empower you. Find a hero in the Bible for me that wasn't already a fully mature man or woman when they stepped into their calling and their destiny, that their voice wasn't cracking and they, they were completely understood by the older generation. I mean, Moses had a warrant out for his arrest and he was a stuttering communicator. David hadn't even had his... Facebook profile up and running when Samuel the prophet comes to town. Joseph is serving time in prison and has total abandonment issues. Rahab would have never passed our requirements to be a pastor or life group leader in this church. And you look at John the Baptist, he was the original hipster with camel hair and his leather belts and he was on the original paleo diet with locusts and honey. And he would have probably been trending on Israel Graham. That's Instagram BC. And I would have never empowered Paul, the Christian killer. I would have never passed the baton to Peter, the one that our Lord and Savior called Satan. We would have been like, well, if Jesus called him Satan, we're not going to empower this guy. But God is always empowering. He's always risking. He's always passing the baton and raising up the next generation And those were the people that were the church and revival leaders. And so I want to say to us as a church that if we don't do that, if we don't empower the next generation, if we don't risk, we might miss a move of God. We might miss a a revival or God doing something new in the church because we're just wanting to hold on to, to what we know and to what's comfortable. God's always raising up the next generation. I was a freshman in college when this happened to me. Got plugged into a life group, was being discipled, and my life group leader, about halfway through the year, gave me a call to let me know that he was moving to plant a church in another city. And we began to talk about it, and I I was wondering, well, who's going to lead our life group now that you're leaving? And I can't describe to you the fear that came over me when he said, well, I want you to do it. 
And I, I, I could write books and encyclopedia sets on how to not lead a life group. <laughs> I did everything wrong that you could think of. But if he didn't empower me and risk on me, I, I don't believe I'd be here standing before you today. And because he risked, risked on me, I believe that it primed me to believe in the next generation even more so. To empower the next generation. To go, you know what? I risked and I failed a lot, but I'm going to empower the next generation too, even if it seems risky. Jesus was raised up by his father. It was the epitome of raising up the next generation, but then Jesus just didn't stop there. He raised up the next generation. He empowered his disciples. The Bible tells us that Jesus actually wanted his disciples to go further than him. It says in John 14 that if anyone has faith in him, that they'll do what he did and did even greater things. And so Jesus' model of ministry is not to keep his disciples below him so that he could always be seen, so that he could always have the spotlight and the pulpit and the microphone and the miracle and the testimony. No, he actually launches them further than what he did. It's in the Bible. He, he, he gets lower and he goes, you guys run farther. You run harder and faster. I, I want you to take it more than what I've taken. I, I want you to have greater faith and, and to believe more than what I did. He, he said, I build a ceiling for you and you start there and build on top of that. And that's our heart as a church in empowering the next generation. We're saying, man, we think this next generation is even greater than, than my generation and the generation above me because that's who the God is that we serve. We believe that they're going to see more things. They're going to see greater things, greater miracles, greater moves of God. But we have to empower them. We have to launch them. Jesus, at the end of his time on earth, after being raised from the dead, spent 40 days with his disciples. And I can just imagine the fear that was going through Jesus' mind. He was probably praying, Lord, give me 40 more. Have you seen these guys? I mean, look at it. Even after he was raised from the dead, they're still doubting him. They're still confused theologically. They're still arguing about the state of Israel. And Jesus is about to go, peace. I mean, I would have been like, they're not ready yet. I'm scared. They might mess it up. And maybe plan B was going through Jesus' mind. But no, we know there wasn't. There wasn't a plan B and there still isn't. Because God's always empowering. He's always risking on the next generation. So I want to ask you today, church, will you do it? Will you empower the next generation? Will you raise up the next generation? All it takes is one. All it takes is one person. Maybe it's someone... If you're in in the workplace, maybe it's someone that you work with that's really open to God or soft to God, and you can empower them and speak affirmation and identity over them. Maybe it's someone in your life group or someone in your class for our students. Maybe a neighbor, something like that, that you can go, I'm going to raise up the next generation. I'm going to invest in the next generation. So my question for you is, who's it going to be? Who are you going to raise up? Who are you going to speak identity to? Who are you going to affirm? 
Who are you going to empower? The great American evangelist, Billy Graham. He's famous for his crusades that filled stadiums and leading hundreds of thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. He was once a misdirected and worldly youth. He was almost expelled from the college that he went to. When the president of the college took him aside and pulled him under his wing. And this is what he said to Billy Graham. He said, you have a voice that pulls. God can use that voice of yours. He can use it mightily. Wow. Can you imagine the impact that that had on Billy Graham? Maybe the directional course of his life that changed because of this president. And so what I want to say is, what if you were that person to somebody? What if, as opposed to just discarding them and thinking that they're not going to make it, you pulled them under your wing and said, you know what, I see this gift in you. You can do this, young person. I believe in you. You've been called for such a time as this. God created you for this purpose. And I believe that if we do that, church, we will see powerful things in this city, in this church, and in this nation because we're committed to raising up the next generation. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? I want to give people an opportunity to give their lives to Jesus. There's always people that come in here that are curious, that are searching for God. Maybe you came with a friend or maybe you just heard that Jesus is alive and moving. The Bible says that it's a free gift, salvation. That if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so why don't everybody close their eyes and bow their heads with me. And if... You're in here today and you're saying, you know what, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know where I I would go if I were to die today. Well, the Bible is very clear that if you accept Jesus, you'll be with him in heaven forever. It's just a simple prayer. It's just you asking Jesus to take away your sin and come into your life. And if you're wanting to pray that, you can just pray with me and just repeat after me. Jesus, I confess that I've sinned. I've gone my own way. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking away my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. And today I make you Lord of my life. I want to be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. With everyone's eyes still closed, if you're praying that for the first time, giving your life to Jesus, would you just look up at me real quick and wave at me just so I can connect with you? I'm not going to call you out or anything. Is anyone making that decision for the first time? Awesome. I see you. Anybody else making that decision for the first time? Praying that. Just wave at me real quick just so I can see you. Anyone making that decision? Okay, awesome. Let's, church, let's celebrate these people that are giving their lives to Jesus. We have a free book for you. It's down at the front. We'll have some life group leaders at the side. This is just a book that'll help you start your journey with God and you can connect with one of our leaders. But I wanna do ministry time a little bit different tonight. I want us to actually be the church. Can we be the church today? So I wanna invite the younger generation to come down to the front. So I'm I'm gonna draw the line at 25. So if you're 25 and under and you're saying, man, I want someone to empower me. I need someone to affirm me and speak identity over me, pray over me, 
encourage me. I want to just invite you right now, just come to the front. Just make your way down here into this front area. You can stand here or get on your knees. You just go ahead and come on down. We're going to have the older generations come and pray for you. You just come here and get in your place. And to all our older generations of 26 and older, once they have come down here, well, this is a lot of people. This is so awesome. Look at this, church. Isn't this awesome? The younger generation. So I want you out there to be the church. And so if you're over the age of 26, I want you to come down. Right now, you can start making your way and just pick one of these people. And I want you to do this. You can get a couple people around them. You can get a group around different people. You go ahead and start coming down. Come on, older generation. Let's be the church. You come down. Just pick somebody. Get, get around them. And I want you to just get to know their name and, and maybe hear what's, what's going on in their life right now. And then just say, let me pray for you. And speak an encouraging word. Speak identity. Maybe a scripture will come to your mind. Maybe you're just going to give an encouragement. Some of you guys could move to the front here to create a little space. This is awesome. You just maybe make, make a way, maybe connect with someone, find some space. I'm going to pray. Stephen's going to lead us in one last song. But you just go ahead and start connecting and, and praying for people. Way to be the church today, all peoples. God, thank you that you're committed to raising up the next generation. That you empower and affirm and speak identity into the next generation. And we pray that this church would have that in its DNA. Generations investing in the next ones. Empowering, loving, confirming. And so God, today I pray that this young generation would be empowered. That they would change cities and schools and neighborhoods because of what's happening this morning. We pray that this young generation would be launched into all that they're called to be. And also God, we pray a blessing on the older generation. We need, we need them. We need you. We thank you, God, for this church. And we pray that this generation would empower the next generation. We pray in your name. Amen.